open up your Bibles, John chapter 8. Welcome to everyone who's joining us online this morning as we enter into our first Sunday of Advent around the theme of peace. Anybody ever said a time in their life where you've just gone through something where you said, man, I really, really wish I had a second chance. I wish I could do edit, undo. My first week at college was one of those weeks, you know, like students, those of you who are seniors, you're kind of envisioning what it's going to be like to go off to college. Well, I had a lot of things in my mind at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. And not just my first week, but my first day of class. So I had my bicycle transported up there too because where the dorm is at Iowa State and where the classes are, and if you're a freshman, it's the longest possible walk. Are you with me? So the freshmen get the dorm farthest away from basic rest of humanity is how I saw it. So I needed a bicycle. And so I had an 8 o'clock Monday morning class, which if you're a freshman, that's kind of the norm, right? No one wants 8 o'clock Monday morning. All the freshmen get that. So I wanted to get there good and early, so I got up early, and I get my bicycle, and I'm going across an intersection right out in front of the dorm, and it's like a major, like, four-lane type intersection. And I do my, do my due diligence. I wait till the green comes. I wait till the white walking signal comes, and I tear out across the intersection, and I'm about halfway across the intersection. And this car refuses to yield to the red light on his side. And he turns right into my, right, just literally comes right across the front tire of my car. I hit the front, right front corner panel of the car. And he's going at a pretty good clip, and I'm just going at a decent clip. And so I hit the car. I basically, I just kind of, I'm like exported out of the seat up and over the handlebars. I remember having this visual of me kind of turning. I'm like, oh, I need to tuck my head or I'm going to head plant right on that hood. So I kind of tucked and I landed on my back. I skid off the hood and I land on the pavement and I'm laying there and I look up and all I could see is the front grill of this car. And I'm just kind of collecting myself here and I'm like, then I look around, I'm in the middle of a four lane intersection. Like before 8 o'clock on a Monday morning, there's a lot of cars going on here. In my head, it's like, get out of the road. That was like, get out of this lane. So I just kind of collect myself. I dust myself off. I look over my bicycle, and it's just a mangled wad now. Of, like, there's no rescuing this bicycle. So I grab it. I kind of haul it over to the side of the road. I'm a little bit skinned up. Everything seems to be working at this point, and my adrenaline's going quite high. And, I take a deep breath. There's a couple people who say, hey, are you okay? And about that point, it occurs to me, where's the car that hit me? You want to guess where the car went? They're gone. Drove off. I was literally six inches from the license plate, my face. I'm laying there. I'm like, uh, I think it's C, uh, CL, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't remember the number. I could remember a little bit about the color of the car. I could definitely tell you all about the hood <laughs> and the grill. They never found the driver who did the hit and run. So, of course, my mom wants to know how the first day for her oldest son at college went. So my phone is ringing off. This is before cell phone days, okay? So students, you can't even envision what this would be like. But we actually had a corded phone in our dorm room. There was a cord that ran to the phone. And that's the only way mom could get a hold of us was the corded phone in our dorm room. And so I learned later on in college years when I wasn't interested in talking with the home front, I just unplugged the phone. 
from the wall. The problem was my roommate and I would forget that we unplugged the phone from the wall and it'd be like two, three weeks goes by. And we're like, man, no one's called us for a while. It's like, oh yeah, we unplugged. And then we'd plug it back in and it'd be like 16 voicemails from our parents, you know. But my mom calls me. End of the day that day. She's like, hey, son, how did the first day go? I was like, well, well, mom, it, uh, it didn't quite go like I thought it was going to go. She's like, oh, yeah, what happened? She said, did your class go okay? I said, well, um, I got hit by a car. <laughs> She's like, what? what ha- are you okay? I'm fine. I get, the bicycle is not fine. I said, mom, but the real problem came when I was, like, on my way to class. So I had a whole incident occur. Guess what happened? My very first class at Iowa State University, I would show up for, guess who showed up late? (laughs) I was late to my eight o'clock class as a freshman. The professor, how many excuses do you think an 8 a.m. Monday morning professor at college hears? Mr. Simpson, I'd like to speak with you at the end of class. You know, I roll in. I'm like, this is a horror. I mean, I'm just feeling terrible. Would you like to explain, you know, it's pretty clear you had orientation, you knew where you were going, like, we started eight. I said, I said, professor, I, I got hit by a car. <laughs> he gives me the, are you kidding me? Like, are you going to be one of those students looks? All I had was a little scrape here or there to show, I, I really did, I got hit by a car. It was one of those days that I just... I wish I could have had a second chance for my first day on campus. But you know, that's a big part of the human experience, is it not? Like, to be a person is to make mistakes. How are you with making mistakes? Are you quite skilled at them? I have a PhD in making mistakes. I'm really good at it. Just ask Kendra, Lily, Kaylin, ask our church staff, ask many of you who've been around here for so many years with me. I'm really, really skilled at making mistakes. I've said things I wish I wouldn't have said. I've done things I wish I wouldn't have done. I've just, I just messed up. And that's part of what it means to be a human. The question isn't really... If we're going to make mistakes, if we're going to fall on our face in failure, if we're going to have a time in our life where we could just wish we had an edit, undo moment, the question isn't really whether you're going to have those moments. The question is, when you have those, what are you going to fall into and rest upon? The story in John 8 this morning is what I've entitled the gospel of second chances. And here's what I want you to see this morning. The pathway to Advent peace. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. You know what's really hard? How are you on the receiving end of others' mistakes that impact you? Ooh. The pathway to peace in that setting is found when you fall on the gospel of second chances. So John chapter 8, here's the setting. Jesus is... At the Mount of Olives, verse 1, he went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So what I noted there was the whole concept of a sunrise service really wasn't something Easter weekend contemporary society picked, right? Sunrise service has been going on since the New Testament. 
We just like to say around here, sun rises at 10 a.m. at Eagle Church. I think that's a big enough stretch for us around here. I think it's all, it takes Jesus to pull off that kind of at dawn, all the people gathered. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, only you could pull that off. Right, if I planned a service for dawn, how many of you are hanging out in here where you get to sit and listen to, look, all the people gathering around him and he's sitting down to teach. That means you need to get comfortable. He's going to be going on a while and it's one of those settings, right? Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So the teachers of the law are the scribes and the Pharisees. You need to think of them like the religious police. In our journey through the Gospel of John, we've come across them several times. And we'll continue to see their interaction here. They, he, they find a woman who's caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. How about that church service right there? So Jesus is there. It's sunrise service. He's teaching the people. Maybe they've led through some songs. Maybe they've read some, some scriptures. And, and the religious police drag in a woman, no doubt probably wrapped up in kind of the, a disheveled because it didn't give you the impression. They gave her a lot of time to kind of put herself together. Just grabbed her, maybe wrapped in a bedsheet herself, who knows, and brought her and said, she was caught in adultery. The church service is changing right there. There's no teacher like Jesus. So whatever he had in his plan that day, he's got a new plan now. And what he's going to present is the gospel of second chances because they're looking at it as an opportunity to trap him. They have zero compassion for the woman who was caught in adultery. They're trying to trap Jesus and remove him from the scene. They don't like the momentum that's building for the Jesus train. They want to shut it down. So they've got an idea of how to shut it down. They get a woman caught in adultery and they bring, him into this, bring her into the synagogue and here's what they want to do. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So write in your Bibles Leviticus 20.10. That's what they're quoting. They're saying, hey, Jesus, you know your scriptures well. Leviticus 20.10, if you're caught in adultery, execution. By stoning, they would take large boulders of rocks and they would thrust them upon a body. It was a brutal way to die. I mean, it was bloody. It was drawn out. It was excruciatingly painful. And if you were caught in adultery, that's what you're supposed to have. Leviticus 20.10, they're like, hold them to it. See, here was the deal. The Romans taught the Jews had no authority to carry out executions and that. That was kind of a Roman deal. So they're trying to catch him. They're saying, okay, if you don't have her, if you don't say stone her, we're going to get you with Leviticus 20.10. And if you do say stone her, you're in trouble with the Romans because the Romans say you can't carry out execution. See, they're thinking, checkmate, we've got you trapped. Now, what do you say? He says, verse 6. And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Isn't that interesting? See, in a big picture sense, the Christian community has divided up sins into two main categories. There's sins of the flesh. They're the ones that get the most attention. The sins of the flesh are the ones that kind of fill up the TV talk shows and the news feeds on our phone. I put in your notes, right? So the common sins of the flesh would be things like lust, greed, gluttony, drunkenness, slothfulness. And then there's sins of the spirit. These don't get as much press. We don't talk about these much. When's the last time you heard about a leader somewhere, a church leader, a business leader, a political leader being removed from their position for a sin of the spirit? Things like pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, cynicism, judgmentalism. Got plenty of examples where sins of the flesh, they're right, toss those guys, toss her out, toss him out, sins of the flesh issues. What about sins of the spirit? 
So often what you'll see in Jesus' dialogue is the people are preoccupied with sins of the flesh, and he wants to talk about sins of the Spirit. So listen to what John Ortberg says about this. I put this quote in your notes. What is so insidious about the sins of the Spirit is that the carriers don't have a clue. At least with the sins of the flesh, you find out you've messed up. You see that? So when you commit the sins of the flesh, this, you just know you've messed up. It's so obvious, but follow this now. With the sins of the Spirit, you may not even know. You just walk through life with a stone in your hand, judgmental thoughts, a superior attitude, impatient words, bitter resentments, little room for love. People stand around you, trembling in brokenness, guilt, fear, lostness, but you're so caught up in your own self-righteousness, you don't even see them. Or worse yet, you see them and are not moved. So this is a story about how Jesus is saying, hey, that needs to change. The fact that we're blinded to sins of the Spirit and we're preoccupied with sins of the flesh, Jesus said that needs to change. Because gang, we're all going to need second chances and it's going to have as much to do with sins of the Spirit as it does with sins of the flesh. Perhaps even more. And in this case, he's calling the religious leaders out on this. Right? Because look now what happens in verse 6 and following. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. But when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So you see right there, he's getting at, right? He's pointing, right? Hey, well, maybe none of you slept with someone else last night, but you've got self-righteousness and judgmentalism, and he's going right to the heart. He's like, you're filled with sins of the Spirit, and you're bringing her in to have her stoned for sins of the flesh. Do you see that? That's what, that's what they're going after. And he's going to capitalize on it now. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, there's a lot of debate about what Jesus would have written on the ground. I happen to think my best guess would be he probably wrote some of the very specific sins of the Spirit patterns that were going on in the crowd around him. And maybe their names, John, judgmentalism, Phil, self-righteousness, Sarah, you know, just boom. I think he probably in the ground and they're all, they're all looking around. They see their name. And they see a sin pattern that maybe wasn't too obvious, but Jesus saw. And he's writing in the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. That's why I think I had to have something kind of really a personal kind of a confrontational thing that must have been done with the ground there because the response was, he says, hey, if you're without sin, go ahead and start slinging the stones. And immediately they might have raised until they saw what he was writing in the ground. They're like, ah. And they start dropping their stones, walking away, and it's just Jesus and the woman. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So three elements to the gospel of second chances. First one, and I put these in your notes for you. The gospel of second chances sees people as eternal beings made in God's image. Did you notice how the religious police referred to this person? Did they call her by name? They don't even know her name. The woman. This woman. Not, hey, Rebecca. Not Sue. Hey, we found Sue. She was caught. They don't even know her name. Why? 
Because the religious police do not see her as a person made in God's image, bearing the Imago Dei. They don't see her as an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal plan in God's great destiny. That's what a person is. An unceasing spiritual being with an eternal plan in God's great world. They don't see that. They see her as an object, a pawn for their religious game. You know, that's that's kind of what happens with religion at times. Religion depersonalizes the human part. Religion just starts treating people as objects and its, not, not by name, not a sense of a sacred entity, a person who bears the Imago Dei. She has a name. She's not an it. She's not a number. She's a person. And you know there's so much in a name, is there not? There's so much communicated in a name. And one of my longtime mentors recently passed away, Eugene Peterson. Many of you have heard many Eugene Peterson quotes through the years here, you know. He just passed away. He went to glory, and he was the one who translated the Message Bible. On a good, long, hard, eight-hour day, Eugene said he would one page of the Message Bible from the original language. So the next time you read the message, I want you to think about how many days of his life that was involved in that. Names matter. Your name matters. Do you know God sees you by name? Do you know he knows your name? You know, we want to be the kind of church community together where we know your name. Your name matters. It matters to me. It matters to us. You're not just an it. You're not just a number. You're not just an attender. You're a person with a name and a story, and it matters. It matters greatly to God, and it matters greatly to us as his people. Of the many things a local church should be known for, I think one of the basics should be, it should be the kind of family where you are known, where your name is known, and your story is known. Because you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal plan in God's great universe. That's who you are. You're a person made in God's image with a story. He knows you. He sees. He's aware. And this is a core part of the gospel of second chances. You are not an object. You are not an it. You are not forgotten. You are not overlooked. You're not a pawn in some big game. You're a person with a name. And you matter. You matter to God and you matter to us as a church family. And this is what it means to be a part of the gospel of second chances. You enter into a community where you can become known. Now for some of you right now, you have an internal allergic reaction to all of that. Because you've built your whole life in isolation, going it alone. And Jesus would say, you know what? There is another way, and there is a better way, and that's this way. Enter the kind of community where you are known. And by the way, you can hide from every human you want, but here's one thing I do know. He knows, he sees, and you are not alone. So this woman who was drug into the middle of the church service, wrapped in a bed sheet, embarrassed, no doubt, not even called by name, Jesus is going to treat her 
as an unceasing spiritual being. Not as an object, not as an it, not as a pawn in some religious game, but a person. And then do you notice what his dialogue is centered around? Did you notice two times he uses a word in verse 10 and 11, the word condemn. This gets into the second point of the gospel of second chances. It embraces, notice how Jesus embraces the failure as an opportunity for a new beginning. Do you believe that? Do you believe your biggest failures, the times when you're most embarrassed, when you fall on your face, I cannot believe I said that or I did that. I can't believe the people I've hurt, the decisions I've made, the ripple effect of brokenness from it. Do you believe with Jesus that can become a pathway to a new beginning in your life? Jesus believes that. The gospel second chances believes that. You know who didn't believe that? The scribes and the Pharisees did not believe that. Did you know? So people would bring to the scribes and the Pharisees situations that needed like wisdom, judgment, discernment. It was kind of like legal religious cases were brought to them and help them decide what to do here. And so they dragged this woman in and the scribes and the Pharisees, their response to her sin, her failure, her brokenness, their response was what? Condemnation and rejection and punishment. Do you see that? That's the scribe and Pharisee way to failure. Condemn and punish and reject. Now listen, some of you are very familiar with that. Some of you, and I want you to think back now for a moment on the environment in which you were raised. How is it, how did your family of origin deal with failure and mistakes? How did they, how was it handled in your home growing up when you made a mistake? Was it scribe and Pharisee way? Was it primarily dealing with kind of punishment and rejection and condemnation? It wasn't even in the lens of the scribe and Pharisees to think we want to rehabilitate her and help her to become somebody who does something better and different. That wasn't even in, they were just like, remove her, stone her, kill her. That's one way to deal with failure. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus, what? He uses two words, condemn. He says, does no one condemn you? The word there he uses is means to sentence. He says, neither do I condemn you. So he's speaking right, he's speaking right against, hey, the scribe and Pharisee way is this, condemnation, punishment, rejection. He said, I want to present to you a new way, a Jesus way. The Jesus way says, hey, he, hey he's going to deal with the sin in just a minute, but he says, hey, I see something in you. I see this as an opportunity for a whole new direction. I'm going to love you into goodness. I'm going to call you to a higher life. That's Jesus' way. And so I think a good exercise in this point of the gospel of second chances is maybe do the hard work like we do in our discipleship classes around here in EHS and EHR. A big part of those courses is about going back to go forward. You know, we have to go back to our family of origin and deal with the brokenness in our family of origin because even the best of families have brokenness. Even the best of families have, didn't always get things right. And perhaps it's in this category. Maybe when you made mistakes, you know what? You kind of internalized some things that you got to unlearn. So you're a part of the new family of Jesus now. you got to learn what it means to be in the new family of Jesus. Do you know sometimes we can't really receive this sense of, of God's love and his forgiveness and his grace and his pathway to a new beginning because we're just condemning ourselves or we're so used to the rejection and the punishment we were raised under and it's just beat into us. You've got to unlearn that. You've got to go back to go forward. That's a big part of this. 
And some of you have been raised in religious environments, and that even adds a whole other layer to this, right? You've got a religious history that maybe in the name of religion, maybe in the name of God, it became more about the scribe and Pharisee way and not about the Jesus way. And you've got to unlearn some of that so you can learn what it means to be in the new family of Jesus. So the first part, right, so you get this picture, right? You've got this, this picture of the scribe and Pharisee way, and then you've got God's way, Jesus' way. This is about me's gospel second chances. You're a person. You are known by name. What failure, what mistake, fall on the face moment, edit undo that you want. Do you know that can become a pathway to a new beginning? Jesus' way would say that. And then thirdly, notice what he says right at the end of the dialogue. It's amazing. I love the statement, go now, verse 11, and leave your life of sin. Here's how I worded this third one. Jesus believes this gospel of second chances. Here, it's about, it's more, it's more than who you are. It's who you could be. Do you see this? Who is he speaking this to? Go now and leave your life of sin. He's speaking this to a woman who was caught in adultery. Which, by the way, side note, where's the guy in this equation? It takes two, huh? Pastor obvious here, two for adultery. There's no guy. Reinforcing again, she's just an object, a pawn, a tool for a bigger picture. She's not a person. They didn't see a person. Who knows what they did with the guy? Maybe they paid the guy off. They just told the guy to go away. They just need one person to go in and trap Jesus. And Jesus sees this woman. Huh. Doesn't even have the debate whether she committed the sin. That's pretty clear. And just says, go now. Leave it. Listen, Jesus is not soft on sin. There are no misunderstandings here. This isn't a story about Jesus being soft on sin. Sin is costly. It cost Jesus his life. He went to a cross. It was bloody. In a few months, we're going to relive that week again. Sin is costly. It's a big deal with God. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't just turn away from it. No, no, no. Here's what, here's what Jesus sees. Jesus said there's something even bigger than sin. There's something, there, there's something besides your history that can become your legacy. Hear this now. See, this woman probably thinking, you know what? I'm done. My history, my adultery is going to be my legacy. Jesus looks at her, right? Grace, forgiveness, new beginning. You know what? Go now. Leave this life of sin. I'm going to love you into goodness. You're going to become someone you couldn't even imagine. And her legacy is going to be her destiny, her future, not her history. That same old true for us. Some of you have probably thought, you know what? I had Jesus and the church and oh, if... Pastor, if you just knew some of the, hey, hey, look, I may not know, but here, Jesus knows. And he says to you what he says to this woman, go now, you can. He believes in you. It's not who you are, it's who you could be. It's about the future, who you could be with him that he sees. Go and leave. He believes she can become the kind of person who doesn't keep doing what she did last night. Do you believe that? I believe it with every fiber of my being. Jesus is not done with you. If you've got breath of life in your lungs, if you're not dead, you're not done. He's not done with you. It doesn't matter what you've strayed into. It doesn't matter how long you've strayed there. It doesn't matter what you've been caught up in. Jesus looks you in the eye in this morning and says, go now, leave this life of sin. Become someone who wouldn't go back to those patterns. He believes that in you. That's the gospel of second chances. 
That's amazing. Can you imagine that woman of all the things she thought was going to happen when she was drug into the middle of that church service? I guarantee you she didn't think verse 11 was going to happen. They drop their stones. Jesus looks her in the eye. Picture him probably holding her face with his hands, looking her right in the eye. Go. Can you picture that scene when she's walking out with a bed sheet dragging through the aisle? I can't help but believe who is gathering around the future worship gatherings. Man, who knows? Maybe the worship leader herself. And what a story of grace that had to be. So this morning is about Advent peace. You know, the only way for peace with God and peace with ourselves, you know, sometimes the hardest person to forgive when we need a second chance is ourself. And peace with others. You know, it's really, really hard when you're on the receiving end of others' mistakes. That's really hard. The pathway to Advent peace is paved with the gospel of second chances. You're a person. He knows you by name. He sees fully the failure. He knows every part of the detail of that mistake or mistakes. And he sees a possibility of a new beginning. It's not just who you are. It's who you could be. He's not giving up on you. So my first week at college, it didn't end with my bike wreck. So two or three days later, I'm skinned up. I got a few bandages. My bike's in the heap now, and I'm walking to and from classes. I went to my English professor's class. I, I arrived on time, thankfully, at that point. And I had my first assignment. This is the first letter grade I received in college. It was like a little bio on you, like a little mini bio. So there it was. There's the bicycle. There's a, that's not actually my bike. That's a good image of what my bicycle looked like. But there's the first letter grade I received in college, my first week at Iowa State. How do you get an F on a paper about yourself? I must be horrible. I mean, that's terrible. It's like a little mini bio, you know, you just had to tell a little bit about your background, all that. And the English professor said, she said, quote, if I came across more than two grammar errors in the first 100 words, I put a red F, big letter F, on the front, and I didn't even read the rest of it. Welcome to college. Huh. How about that first week? You know what? For some of you, that's how you feel about your life right now. Either the image on the left, there's some stuff that's mangled up. You've got in the middle of something that's all crumpled up, whatever you envision. It, yep. And then others of you feel like on one or multiple fronts of your life, you're just a big fat F. Do you know what Advent says? Advent says, you know what? Jesus sees something a little different than that. Hey, by the way, he sees the crumpled up life he sees wherever we failed. And he sees the possibility for a new beginning. This is a picture of why there's so little internal peace. Because the core question is, what are we going to do with our sin? You know, that's like a big question in life. Like, that's a biggie. What am I going to do with my sin? And if you don't think you have it, ask the people who know you well. They'll clarify. Ask the people who live with you spend time with you. You've got plenty of sin. I've got plenty of sin. The question isn't whether we have sin. The question is, what are we going to do with it? 
Advent says, bring your sin to Jesus and he'll bring his healing grace to you. Go and leave it. There's a new way. You're not condemned for your Fs. You're not condemned for your brokenness. He will meet you there and call you to a new way to live. So worship team, why don't you come on up? We're going to wrap up with a final song. And I'm just conscious all through this month of Advent. You know, Advent, a big part of Advent is also a, a kind of a returning part. And for some of you, maybe it's a returning back. Maybe you've heard all about the Advent stories for so many years. But you know what? Today, it gets personal. You know, with Jesus, it's always personal. With religion, it's not personal. With Jesus, it's personal. And today, it can be personal for you. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you look across this gathering and I even think about those joining us online. Maybe there's someone driving in a car, sitting in their bed, on a couch. And right now, they need to hear this. I see you. I know you. I know every aspect about you. see that brokenness, I see that heartache, I see that mangled mess, I see that big fat red F, I see it all. You're just saying, hey, why don't you just bring all that to him, and he'll bring his healing grace to you now. And today could be the day where it's no longer about your history, about who you are or have been, but it can be about your future. Your legacy can be written by your future, who you could be. We pray for a mighty outpouring of your spirit. And if you've never called out to Jesus with these words, all it is is that say, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin. If you don't know what to do with your sin, just bring your sin to Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Lead me. I give the whole of my life to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.